0: everyone welcome back to another episode of midwest madness your true crime cult conspiracy encrypted podcast i'm emily and i'm danielle and do you, i don't i feel like
1: i had one tiny little thing okay i texted you about it um i was watching this show oh, called yeah. mysteries of the abandoned on discovery plus hey discovery plus we love you um <laughs> i watched so much stuff on there and i feel like with our Josh Gates connection or not. Yeah, Josh Gates. Um, I mean, if they wanted us, through us, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I was watching this show and they showed this like weird building. And I was like, OK, I know this building because it was in the middle of the water and it was in Michigan up by the UP. And I went, oh, my God. And I got so excited that I like texted you about it and it was um the one with the guy really who, hard name to say yeah and it was the one with the guy who like locked it's the, she's talking about in. a lighthouse yeah. by the way sorry yeah I you did didn't No, you didn't say <laughs> what it was
0: one of the lighthouses from um, the spooky lighthouse episode
1: yeah and so he was it was the lighthouse where the yeah guy i know locked him his employee into the
0: yeah um in the room and then vanished, vanished. yeah, yeah.
1: It was, it was actually really cool. Like you covered like everything that they covered and then it was just kind of neat to see what was left and like have them, you know, have the visuals with the, the audio cause we don't obviously have video visuals. Mm, right. So it was just really cool. So if anybody's interested in
0: mysteries them, of the abandoned,
1: seeing that, yeah, it's been pretty interesting. A lot of, uh, Nazi Stuff. Like, you know, like, this building was built for this purpose during World War II, you know. So it's not just in the United States. Nope, it's all over the world. So there's a lot of Russia, there's a lot of Nazis, there's a lot of... Boo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... But it's, it's really fascinating, and if you're into history, you'll probably like it. I certainly do. So, that's all I had.
0: Cool. <laughs> Big um,
1: tangent, but that's, you know, typical.
0: I don't have anything i don't think other than again we're recording this like two weeks in advance so yes
1: because you're gonna be gone yeah for two weeks are you
0: gone next weekend
1: i'd have to look i don't and i don't have my phone okay no it doesn't matter matter. i really
0: was just curious Um, but
1: i'm i mean i'm dog sitting but i'm in town i'm not like for the other two that i'm not around for i'm literally out of the state right i knew that so yeah i'm technically i'm here just not at my house
0: got it okay um so yeah when this comes out i'm sure it'll be like a surprise for us too
1: yeah because we keep forgetting what we talked about yeah
0: um anything else nope okay um so it's my turn again um last time I told the story of the Velisca Axe murders in Willisca Iowa. Yes. Oh, I just realized I did. <laughs> we'll get to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be telling you a story I thought I had never heard before until I really got into it. And then I was like, wait, I have heard this before. Okay. So I feel like you've probably heard of it too. And it's from a state that we don't, I feel like we don't visit that often. Okay. Indiana
1: oh yeah we haven't been there very often have we no have you ever looked at my list of places
0: nope
1: i didn't think so (laughs) it's really handy like when you're looking for a story to be like oh i haven't been here in a long time yeah because i tend to do a lot of like minnesota wisconsin iowa just because like those are the three states that are like in our general area because we're on the wisconsin side
0: yeah i try to do not those ones typically yeah.
1: but yeah and i try not to but all of a sudden i'll be like oh that's a good story and i'm like oh, shit <laughs> yeah one of my three dates." so
0: um the story is a sad one obviously but i'm gonna do it anyway <laughs> all stories <laughs> are sad mostly unless they're
1: <laughs> unless they're like survivor stories or cryptids or cryptid. spooky lighthouses.
0: yeah um okay so i'm gonna be telling the story of david cam
1: The name does not sound familiar. The
0: name didn't sound familiar to me either, but the story did. Okay. So, we are going to go back to the fall of 2000 in a town called Georgetown, Indiana. Um, Georgetown, small, quiet, 3,000 people. Oh, that is small. Located pretty much right on the edge of the Indiana-Kentucky border. Like, it almost looks like it could be a suburb of Louisville. like that's how close it is okay um so very southeast point of the state it's like in the tip down there um relatively safe place good place to raise a family um at this time david cam had just recently left his job with the indiana state police to start working with the family business his wife kim cam was a kim kim was a financial analyst and they had two children brad who was seven and jill who was five
1: what was the second child's name
0: jill jill okay brad and jill okay it sounds like david's family was pretty well known in the area um like they had street name like a street name after them and things like that
1: oh wow so they're like like a pillar family almost like well i don't know about that in town knows who they are like
0: well, it's a small town, but
1: still, yeah, uh, we don't have a town na- or a street named after us, and we don't live that big of a town.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think we've done anything to deserve it. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. Brad was in second grade, and Jill was a kindergartner at this
1: time. Okay, so we have David as dad, Kim. Kim is mom. Brad. Brad is the older son, yep. and then Jill is the youngest. Yep.
0: Okay. Um, the kids played Little League, David coached, and they spent Sundays at the Georgetown Community Church, a church which David's grandfather had built, and his uncle was now the
1: preacher, preacher,
0: pastor, leader. Okay. It didn't specify like what, what it was. And, yeah. Okay. So, whatever. And then Kim was also the treasurer there. So. Okay. Um, seemed like your typical all-American family. Um, now let's go to the night of September twenty-eighth,
1: two thousand. Oh damn! It's day after. Oh my yeah, day after birthday. your birthday,
0: your twentieth.
1: What year did you say? Two thousand yeah, or tenth? <laughs> I thought you said two thousand ten. I was like,
0: whoa, <laughs> you grew fast. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I know f- when I was born, you guys. <laughs> David arrived home around 9.30 p.m. after playing basketball with a group of friends at the church. I know this story. Okay, good. (laughs) It clicked when you
1: said he came home. Yeah. And I went, she's going to say basketball, and then you said basketball, and I knew.
0: Kim had spent the night bringing Jill to dance practice and Brad to swim practice, and it said, one of my sources said they arrived home at 7.30, but the more I, like, read into the story, it didn't really, that doesn't really make sense. So take that 7 30 time frame from but 7:30
1: but to
0: oh. a grain of salt um at 9 29 p.m. police got a frantic call from david cam um it's in the call he said quote get everyone out here now my wife and kids are dead end quote what i was going to say at the beginning was i did two stories back to back where like pretty much the whole family was
1: oh <laughs> murdered yeah, and i, I did. did not
0: do that intentionally
1: i'm like got real morbid you guys i did she was like uh, family annihilators let's do it yeah
0: <laughs> david shouted to his former co-workers at the state police post um that he worked at that's sorry i should have continued my sentence because now it doesn't really make <laughs> sense but so he, so he called he, he didn't call nine one one. he called the former post of the state police that he worked at
1: so like by post you mean like the location the location he, okay yeah. so like the police department type thing but it's not a police it's not a police but, but you know but yeah. the station okay there we go in that area that's how about we say that it that way um that's weird i mean no that's weird it's weird yeah we can talk
0: about it a little bit okay later you you let me know when yeah i'll okay. tell you when cool. when police arrive minutes later they're greeted by a distraught david and a gruesome scene they saw kim and brad sprawled on the garage floor both bleeding brand was found lying on top of a prison prison issued sweatshirt jill was still in the back seat of the black ford bronco she had been shot in the head and she was unfortunately dead
1: so just for clarification um are mom and brad still alive because they're you said they were bleeding
0: let's keep going okay, sorry. kim was in her underwear and her shoes were on the hood of the car police obviously wanted to talk to david and hear his story of events of what happened so this is his story um david stated that he had been playing basketball at the nearby church that night between 7 p.m and about 9 20 p.m when he drove home and pulled up to the house he found that's when he found kim who was lying on the garage nec- floor next to the car um he assumed at that point that she was dead okay he then said he looked inside the vehicle and he saw Jill and Brad. Jill was behind the passenger seat, slumped over, and her blonde hair was covered in blood and draped over her face. She had been shot in the head, which I believe I said already, yes. unfortunately. So sad. Breaks your heart. Um,
1: yeah, just so little.
0: Brad was draped across the back seat, looking like he was trying to escape, and he had been shot in the chest. And David stated that he thought that Brad might still be alive because when he touched him, he was warm to the touch. Okay. So he reached over Jill, pulled Brad out of the car, and started to perform CPR on him. When this ultimately didn't work, he called police, then ran across the street to his grandfather's house because he lived right across the street okay. to find his uncle who had been living there, and he told him what happened. He'd, um, at this point, David's family... Pretty much arrived to the site immediately. Okay. Again, small town. Small town, yep. David's mom was found holding a picture of Jill and Brad, crying and rocking back and forth, yelling my babies over and over again. And Kim's parents were startled awake around 11 p.m. by the doorbell. At the door was David's uncle telling them the bad news. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, I'm sure you can guess that David was immediately a suspect. A lot of things about that night didn't really seem to make sense. First, there were eight specks of Jill's blood on David's shirt, but that was consistent with blowback, according to the police. The medical examiner, trigger warning a little bit, also said that Jill had, quote, blunt force trauma, end quote, to the genital area, consistent with either a fall or molestation within the last 24 hours. Mm. Also, David's behavior that night came under scrutiny, why would David call his former state police post versus calling 911?
1: Okay, so this is now we can talk about, about, about it. <laughs> I just so like I can understand on one hand why he would call the police station or the post or whatever first because he's thinking, okay, this way I'm cutting out the middleman of 911 and I can get them the information myself. So I get that. But also on the other hand, we are taught from a very young age to call nine one one in case of emergencies. So like gut instinct I feel like would be nine one one.
0: I don't know if Georgetown had its own police department either. Okay. Um I should have looked into that. I didn't even think about it to be honest. But to me, Is it odd? Yes. But at the same time, I'm like, he knew everyone there. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, our first instinct is to call 911, but we're not police officers.
1: You should have asked your friend whose dad's a cop.
0: If (laughs) a police officer had an emergency, I don't know who they would call. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I don't know. Because, like, and like I said, I, I see both perspectives like i see why it seems really suspicious that he wouldn't call 9 because like that's what you do in an emergency but then on the other hand i i totally understand your point like that could just have been the more natural thing for him to do so
0: right so i mean is it odd a little yes can we hold it against him i don't know um
1: well, and, like, you, you know, you hear in so many other true crime podcasts and shows and, like, everybody handles things, grief and tragedy, differently. So can you really, like, villainize him for how he reacted to a arguably, not arguably, really, a very traumatic scene?
0: Um. And the other question was, why did he only attempt to give Brad CPR, not his wife and daughter? Well, but...
1: Didn't he say he thought they were both dead already?
0: Yeah, he did, but I don't know. Again, people, that's just a question people had. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, so, again, I don't really see that as suspicious if he felt... I mean, he obviously had to reach over his daughter. Yeah. So he could tell...
1: Well, and if you see the traumas to the head, like, how hopeful are you that that person's still alive?
0: Right, so I don't know about that one either, but... The Sunday after the murderers, which was October 1st, David went with his family to church to listen to his uncle preach. He spent hours crying in the pew. When it was time to leave, David was swarmed with reporters. Um, He talked to them, but wasn't crying in the interviews like most would have expected. Again.
1: That goes back to the point of
0: also have you ever cried for like hours and hours and hours and then at some point you're just like you're just like out i of can't tears. i can't cry anymore yeah. and it's yeah. said that he was crying in the pew for like hours
1: yeah so and, like again you can't villainize someone for how they grieve that's not fair
0: we all do it but
1: i know but it's not fair that we do it
0: yeah um Later that day, he went down to the police headquarters for another round of questioning, and at this time, he was arrested and charged with three counts of first-degree murder. Kim, Oof. Brad's, and Jill's funerals were a couple days later. Police did not allow David to attend. But at midnight the night before the murders, 15 police did bring David to the church, where he was able to view the bodies and was given five minutes to say goodbye to his family.
1: Um, you mean before the funerals? Is that what he said? You said before the murders. Yes. I was like,
0: wait, what? Duh. (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Okay. So before the funerals, they did let him say goodbye, but they didn't let him go to the funeral. Correct. Okay.
0: David's trial began on January 14th, 2002. The prosecution believed that David had left the church during the one game he sat out. So the one game he didn't play that night. Yeah. He returned home, murdered his family, then went back to the church and played the rest of the games.
1: So were these like five on five, three on three? Do you know? Okay, Because you've played both.
0: I think it's five on five. And
1: like three on three goes way faster, usually.
0: I don't think that really
1: matters. Well, it it would if you're going... Well, they could be playing
0: to 10 points you know what i mean we don't they could be playing 10 minute games like we don't know what they're playing okay good point uh every single person who was with david that night at the church all 11 of them testified that he didn't they didn't see him leave ever the prosecution stated that the eight specks of jill's blood that were found on david's shirt were from blowback of the gun but the defense stated that that was from david reaching across jill to pull brad out of the truck The prosecution also stated that David had made a call from the house at 7.19 p.m. proving that he had still been home after 7 when he said he was at the church playing basketball. But a Verizon employee testified that there was a system error with the time zones and the call was in fact made at 6.19 p.m., not 7.19 p.m. The prosecution also had 12 women testify that David had propositioned them for sex and he had had multiple affairs. This, plus the allegations of molestation on Jill, were the motives for murder. On March 17, 2002, David Cam was found guilty on all three counts, and in April, he was sentenced to 195 years in prison. In August of 2004, so two years later, David had his conviction overturned by the Indiana Court of Appeals, stating the reason was that the judge should have never allowed the 12 women to testify and that their testimony had biased the jury. And in November of 2004, Prosecutor Keith Henderson refiled charges against David. You look like you're going to say something, so I'm waiting.
1: Yeah, I just... I I just don't know where I stand on this one, because, like, every time I hear it, I'm like... I feel like I flip flop because I've heard it at least twice. Like this being the second time. And like sometimes with some of my podcasts, they'll like repeat a story or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just, I just don't know where I stand on this one. Like, do I believe that he's innocent or do I believe that he's guilty? Because if I think he's innocent, this is real fucking traumatic. Like this poor guy. But then, if I think he's guilty, I'm like, "Well, screw you," you know. So I'm just, I'm trying to decide where I, where I find myself this time. If I think he's innocent or guilty, I'm I haven't decided yet. Keeping my opinion to myself. You'll tell me at the end, of that, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. I think it'll be pretty clear where I stand <laughs> at the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, in February 2005, another suspect, Charles Booney, was identified. In 2003, both the state and Cam David's defense um, team had known that there had been unidentified male DNA found on that prison sweatshirt found at the scene. And in, in early 2005, it was ran through the national database where it was matched to Charles Booney. Charles was a convicted felon who in 1989 had been convicted of three counts of robbery and one count of attempted robbery in Bloomington, Indiana. In 1993, Charles was sentenced to 20 years for the three counts of armed robbery and for three counts of criminal confinement. He obviously was released early since this happened in 2000. In February of 2005, Charles spoke to journalists. He stated that he had gotten rid of the prison sweatshirt three months before the murders, saying he had put it in a drop box for the Salvation Army. Um... Charles' palm print had also been found on the hood of Kim's car. He told investigators that he had been at the house to sell a gun, and he later stated that he had been there the night of the murders to sell that gun to someone. Charles Booney was arrested and charged with the murder and conspiracy to commit murder on March 5, 2004. Murders, I should say. Four days later, on March 9th, charges against David were dropped, but new charges were immediate fu- immediately filed, this time stating that Charles and David would be tried together, both charged with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. In May, David's defense team successfully petitioned for his trial to be moved to Wark County, Indiana, And Charles' trial was to stay in Floyd County, which is the county that Georgetown is located in. So this, they're not being tried together anymore. Okay. Both trials were set to begin on January 9th, 2006. On January 26th, 2006, Charles Booney was found guilty of the Cam family murders and conspiracy to commit murder. On February 23rd, he was sentenced to 225 years in prison. Charles did try to appeal his conviction, but in January of 2008, his appeal was denied.
1: David. Sorry, they're basing that off of the sweatshirt
0: and and the the palm print. print. Yes. Okay. David's second trial officially began on January 17th, 2006. Keith Henderson's argument, that's the prosecutor, was that Kim found out david was molesting their daughter jill and david killed his whole family to cover up the crime a few notable things to come up in this trial were first one of kim's friends testified that a few weeks before the murder kim had been extremely upset with david and was planning on taking a trip to florida with the kids to get some distance however the defense countered by saying that kim had not told anyone else that she was unhappy with david um so they were like okay just because one person. one person it's you know no one else can corroborate that yeah. story. Um, Lynn Scamhorn, who was a DNA anal- analyst for the Indiana State Police, testified that during the first trial former Floyd County prosecutor Stan Faith had threatened her when she wouldn't say she found David's DNA on Charles prison sweatshirt, even though she had ran over 300 tests.
1: Okay, so she was threatened by the, the prosecutor. Because she did not find any evidence and she of David handling that sweatshirt.
0: Yes, and okay. she wouldn't Lie about it. Lie about it. Okay. The I pros- just wanted to be clear. Prosecution brought an expert stating that Jill's blood droplets on David's T shirt were there due to velocity impact and that David couldn't have been more than four feet from his daughter when she was shot. The defense brought in experts stating that the blood was transferred when he came in contact with her after she was dead. On March 3rd, 2006, a second jury found David guilty of three first-degree murder charges. The judge had dismissed the conspiracy charge earlier on in the trial. Um, when the jury was asked, they stated that the, it was the testimony of Dr. Betty Spivak, a forensic pediatrician with the Kentucky Medical Examiner's Office that solidified their guilty verdict. She testified that Jill had been molested and convinced them that David was responsible. On March 29th, David was sentenced to life without parole. Okay, In June 2009, the Indiana Supreme Court reversed the second conviction, citing the prosecutor, Keith Henderson's Closing argument comment that David had Melissa's his daughter Jill, was biased. Had biased the jury.
1: Yeah, because you can't yeah. prove... because there was, was no
0: evidence her. connecting this to her. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yep, cool. That makes sense.
0: In late November of 2009, the attorney general, the Indiana attorney general, requested a rehearing of David's appeal, but that was also denied. So they were like, hey, can you relook at this appeal that you overturned? Yeah. And then not overturn it? And they were like, no. And in December, prosecutor Keith Henderson refiled charges against David for a third time.
1: Is it the same prosecutor every time? Nope. First okay. trial was
0: a different one, same one in the second two. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. I
1: wanted to just double check.
0: In June of 2010, David's defense team asked the Indiana Supreme Court to appoint a special judge in the third trial, and in July of the same year, that request was granted. I don't know why they wanted a special judge, okay? but they did, so. And in February of 2011, David's defense team moved to have Keith Henderson removed from the case. Because he had signed a deal, which he was paid $4,000 for in advance, to write a book about the shooting of the Cam family. Keith had signed the deal less than a month before the second conviction was an overturned. And in November of 2011, the Indiana Court of Appeals ruled that a special prosecutor would be appointed. So, Keith is out.
1: Okay. That seems like a good call.
0: Yeah. Um, the third trial was set for August 5th, 2013. And Charles Booney was expected to testify. That trial kicked off on August 19th, and Charles did, in fact, testify. His story was that on the night, that night in September 2000, he handed the gun to David at his home. Kim pulled into the family's garage, and David started following the car up the driveway, and the two began to argue. Charles stated that all of a sudden he heard a pop, then a little boy yelled daddy, then another pop followed by a third. Charles said then David then came out of the garage and pointed the gun at him and tried to shoot him, but the gun had jammed. Charles then said that he chased David into the garage and he disappeared inside the house. He said while he was chasing him, he tripped over Kim's shoes, so he picked them up and placed them on the hood of the car so no one else would trip, because that's exactly... What I would be thinking.
1: I was just going to say, mm -hmm.
0: He also stated he did not touch anyone at the scene, and then he fled. On October 24th, 2013, a jury officially found David Cam not guilty on all charges. Kim's parents state that they believe to this day that David is responsible for the murders of Kim, Brad, and Jill. Um, The three trials had cost Floyd County about $4.5 million. Damn. In April of 2022, David Cam was awarded 4.6 million dollars by the state of Indiana to settle claims that he was maliciously prosecuted and wa- wrongly imprisoned. Floyd County paid David about 450 thousand dollars to settle the same allegations, same yeah.
1: charges, charges,
0: same yeah. yeah, whatever. So, yeah, that's the story of uh, David Cam.
1: <laughs> Damn.
0: feel like that was very like straightforward but (laughs) i hope it made sense there's a lot of dates but yeah a lot of i just still it was 13 years
1: i just don't i don't think i don't think he did it i don't think he did it either i don't i i feel like the evidence to me more points to um charles thank you just because like the sweatshirt is a weird coincidence like why did he take the sweatshirt
0: off is my question
1: yeah I, that's yeah that's really weird or but unless it was like or was it like tied, tied around, around his, his waist, waist or, or something? His shoulders or i guess around the waist was more common back then um and like because I'm, I'm trying to think of other explanations for why that would be there and the salvation army drop box thing is just like that family would know that that was a prison sweatshirt and why would that family pick that at the Salvation Army if they ever went to the Salvation Army for one and then the only other way I could think of like his palm print getting on the car is like he bumped into it in a parking lot or something and like put his hand on it you know like that's the only other explanation I can think of and again that would be one Hell of a coincidence.
0: Yeah, I don't think um, David had anything to do with it.
1: I don't
0: either. He had eleven witnesses. People saying yeah. he never left the gym yeah. from seven p.m. to nine twenty p.m. No, yeah, nine twenty.
1: And like, I can see getting like maybe one or two people to lie for you, especially if they're like terrified of you, like that that guy from that tiny town where he was killed in his truck Ken ken oh yeah ken right yetis no oh no, no. the guy that you did the story he was shot by somebody in his truck the whole he was terrorizing the whole town
0: oh kind of yeah yeah, yeah. His name. doesn't matter
1: yeah because he got people to lie for him because he was absolutely terrifying and people were like fuck if i don't he's gonna kill me but like it doesn't sound like david's that kind of a person so like What I'm saying, I guess, and long story short, is he's not going to get 11 people to lie for him on the stand and say that he was somewhere he wasn't. Right. He's just not. Right. So, this time, I definitely don't think he did it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just, I just don't, it doesn't, no, it doesn't
1: make any sense. So, I I guess I hope that whoever did do it, if it was Charles, it.
0: It had to be
1: other, yeah, other why person, would his again, sweatshirt be there And yeah, why would and his handprint be in the car And he knew that the shoes were on top of the car That And that's a weird lie like,
0: Well I don't know if He I mean we, someone could argue That the police like fed him that information that's like, true. So why were the shoes on top of the car Yeah, that's You know true. what I mean So we don't that's know about true. that but,
1: but, like, his explanation for it is weird. Yeah, it's that a dumb explanation.
0: Sense. Like, maybe he probably did triple for them. Yeah. <laughs> himself. Not after he chased David into the house and then... Or... If you The guy had a gun. He was gonna
1: attack Kim because she was just found in her underwear, wasn't she?
0: Yeah, I don't know if she had, like,
1: like a, but she a was shirt like, on. But she wasn't wearing pants, is what I'm saying. She was wearing pants so for sure. If so, if he was gonna sexually assault her take off your shoes where's she gonna put them probably on top of the car
0: i mean yeah we're speculating at this yeah, point absolutely but we're
1: speculating but like it's a better explanation <laughs> than the shit he gave
0: like, i for to me i believe that he did actually trip over the shoes and he moved them but okay. i don't think he was chasing anyone okay i think he was doing bad things and her shoes were on in, the ground like in the way and he kept tripping over them and he was like I'm going to just put him up here. Okay. That's my guess. And my guess is he when he bent down, maybe he bent oh. down, put his hand on the car, and that's how his palm print. Because I, again, I But again, I don't know where the palm print was.
1: See, and I was thinking it was on the hood.
0: So it could have been on the door. It didn't state yeah. where the palm print was, but Interesting. that's kind of okay. hard to. Yeah, that's like
1: your explanation does make sense with the palm looking print. at it that way. Yeah. yeah.
0: But yeah that's it
1: (laughs) yeah we will never know
0: um for sure unless unless he tells the story yeah
1: i don't see that happening if he's gonna testify in court right to this other story i just don't see him confessing
0: but that's the one weird thing too is like why would he like you're already in jail for the rest of your life why are you testifying if it's against someone else to get them in jail if it's not the truth Unless you're, like, that por- shitty of a guy.
1: Unfortunately but Fortunately, you and I don't think that way, so. Yeah, I don't know. So, that's kind of weird, too, but. It is.
0: Um, okay, yeah. my sources were, oh, there, and there are documentaries on this case. I didn't watch any, but okay. if anyone's, like, interested in, I'm sure you could find them. And there's a bunch of, like, 48 hours and stuff, too. So, uh, my first source was idsnews.indiana.edu, um, Wikipedia. Wikipedia murderpedia.org and the courier journal oh and i think i'm missing one i might be missing one but i will double check and if i am i'll send it to you okay
1: and that's always in our show notes. oh you know what
0: no i'm not it's right okay. here
1: okay i got it okay <laughs> that's it um our socials are midwest madness podcast group on facebook MW Madness podcast on instagram and that is also our gmail reach out to us we love to hear from you guys how oh, serious we almost made it
0: you're really quiet by the way i was oh. yeah you need to put okay. it closer Sorry.
1: to you um so hopefully you heard all of <laughs> our socials
0: and if you didn't that's fine
1: they're in our show notes okay have a great rest of your day you guys bye